favorite shows? Well, maybe not your favorites. Well, because some of them really suck. Yeah. So grab your drink and give your glass a clink to Broadway Blackout. Broadway Blackout. Broadway Blackout. I am not giving away my... Rita, do you have a drink? Marianne, finish the lyric. Oh, crap. Okay. Shot. Yay, welcome to Broadway Blackout. Broadway Blackout. Broadway Blackout is a witty, in-depth look at some of the atrocities that have come to the Broadway stage. Take a look with my girl Marianne. Hey, hey, hey. And Rita, that's me, into stage flops that lost money, caused controversy, and barely made it through previews. Aw. Yikes. <laughs> but aw for today's show. Aw for today's aww. show. <laughs> As you're listening, enjoy a signature cocktail beautiful in the theme of the show each week from self-proclaimed mixologist marianne that's me marianne can you tell us about the drink this week why yes i figure since we're doing um a play that is based in the south we have a little bit of lemonade with some iced tea vodka a little arnold palmer a little drunken arnold palmer (laughs) (laughs) she's had three sips a little drunken Arnold Palmer. Uh, drunken Arnold. Ar- Arnold's a hard Arnold. Word. Arnold. Hey, Arnold. I was looking like, hey, Arnold. Move it, football head. Drunken Arnold Palmer. <laughs> See, I had to say it drunken like I was saying, hey. Right. How kind of you to let me come. Drunken Arnold Palmer. <laughs> drunken Arnold Palmer. There you Pal- go. Pal- Pal- Palmer. Palmer. For the longest time, I always, I thought it was George Bush on the Arnold Palmer. <laughs> um, like, it looks like him on the iced tea. Uh-huh. No. I mean, I think it looks like him. And then years later, I'm pretty sure I thought it was George Bush. I was like, oh, that makes sense. Like, it's named after him. We get it. But I never called it an Arnold Palmer growing up. I always just called it half and half. Yeah. But is that like a Long Island thing to do? To call it half and half? I think Arizona calls it a half and half. Oh. So that's, you know, no, I mean like the. Um, oh, like Arizona iced tea. Yes. I even Arizona at the state. I was like, that's so specific. Uh, on their cans, they call it a half and half. Mm. Which is probably why. Right. I've always just called it a half and half. And Arnold Palmer is not a very um, well-known golfer anymore. He's he's not the name that he used to be. Right, right. He's, he's aged out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What's this week called then? The drink called. We're going to call it the <laughs> Scottsboro Boys. I wish I could have seen it anywhere. Me too. <laughs> I completely agree with you. I would love to see this live. Yeah. Oh my gosh. And I searched through YouTube for about two days. Yeah. And nothing. No, I only could find some clips. Yeah. Like from Playbill or even I found some clips from like the off-Broadway production, but... I couldn't find any bootleg. And that's like unseen, like unheard of. Yeah. But like nowhere, there is no performance anywhere. Which is funny because I feel like it did well, like regionally. Yeah, absolutely. So you think there was something. So uh, what, before we start, I'm okay, so sorry. Okay. Um, I did just want to say happy birthday to <gasps> Marianne. Oh my God, thank um, you. It's a big birthday this year. So we were really happy about that. Lots of big things happening for her. Big birthday. 
big bachelorette party, big bridal shower, and a wedding. So it's a, it's a 2021 is your year. I know. It's not every day that you turn 25, but That's why I said big birthday. Yeah, but you know, I'll I'll wear it with pride. Yeah, you don't look a day over 18. Oh, thank you. Love it. Uh, which means I look 12. So <laughs> it's fine. Um, it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. Um but yeah, I just wanted to say a quick happy birthday to you. I know it passed. It was last week, but... That's all right. I'll take it. It's my birthday month. <laughs> yes, it is. Yeah. Cheers to that. <laughs> mm. Well, next month's Bachelorette month. Yeah, that's true. So you've got birthday month in February and Bachelorette month in March. Then we'll skip April. May is going to also be, I think, Bachelorette month. And then June is bridal shower month. And then July is wedding. Well, so you've got a busy year. Yeah, I feel like April is going to be like a lot of planning, getting stuff solidified month. Yeah, like last minute prep kind of. Well, not really last minute, but just finalization. Two to three months out. Yeah, finally month. send out invitations. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. The wedding website is up. So excited. I'll look at it later. Okay. But Scottsboro boys. Yes. Um, you know, Rita, this this does fall into our category, but it was interesting because I was like, is it really a flopped show? Because it did lose money. Mm-hmm. But from what I understand it, it was only supposed to be a limited run. It was, but I think they were hoping to extend the limited run because yeah. it was off-Broadway first and then it transferred to Broadway. Mm-hmm. So... It seems to me that they were hoping to keep it going. Yeah, I think that there were there was actually an announcement that said that they were going to reopen it the next spring, and that never happened. When I was looking it up as well, uh, an interesting thing about that season is that nineteen shows. This is uh, fall winter of twenty eleven, twenty ten. It was the 2010-2011 Tony season. Okay, because it opened. Fall of 2010. So 2010, right. Yeah. Um, 19 shows opened in that fall season, and only two of them survived into 2011. Yeah, that's that's rough. Yeah. And I'm almost positive quite a few of them were limited engagements hoping to extend, and some of them didn't even fill their engagement, like their limited engagement. Right. But you also had a lot of heavy hitters that opened in the spring and summer Yeah, that really took audiences away from these smaller artsy shows that were trying to make their name on Broadway. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. But um, we'll talk about that a little later. Yeah, definitely. That was one of my favorite Tony years, though. Not going to lie. Like, to- like seasons. It was a Neil Patrick Harris year. <laughs> yeah. So, like, a year he hosted it. Um, and he's my favorite host. Oh, so. so good. <sighs> I wish he could host it every year. I understand he cannot. But, man, do I wish he could. Bring NPH back. Bring MPH back. <laughs> the story was based on real life events in mm-hmm. <clears throat> 1931. And you and I had both talked about how interesting just the story of the actual historic events were and that you and I had both started to research. Um, I'm not, uh, not going to give a full account. I'm going to give um, a shortened account. But anytime you want to interject something that you think is important go for it great but just before you start i do want to say um we tried to choose shows this month oh yes that um represented thank you i couldn't think of the word we tried to choose shows this month 
that represented the black community. The black community, yeah. And um, since it's Black History Month, we feel it is only right to shine a light on um, the black community in theater. Yes. And the huge impact that they have made. Last week, our show was The Great Comet. That show was extremely diverse, so we felt that it, it would fit in the month. We, we will be talking about diversity a lot. <clears throat> and I teach a lot of uh, black American musical theater in my classes. But it's very interesting to see how far we've come from those early shows in the 1900s and, and even the minstrel shows that this was based upon to where we are now and how socially conscious or socially conscientious we have become. It was based on real events uh, in 1931, just a quick rehash, super quick rehash of the Scottsboro Boys. And you could go and find a million and one articles on YouTube, on uh, the intranet. You could Google search it and there's The so internet is really, really great. In short form, it was, um, the event occurred with nine African-American boys between the ages of 12 and 19. They were accused of raping two white women on a freight train. They were tried three times, and four out of the nine men were cleared of their charges. Their charges were dropped. Only two actually served. Um, they actually escaped and then got sent back to jail for other crimes. Ozzy Powell, in 1936, had a really hard time. He was shot in the face when uh, he admitted to attacking a deputy. The oldest boy escaped in uh, prison in 1946 and went into hiding until 1976 when he was pardoned. And as of April of 2013, all of the boys were pardoned 80 years after their original crimes. Insane. Imagine Which spending most of your young adult life... Mm -hmm in prison for something you didn't do and people admitted that they lied about what they said you did yeah. and you were still in prison for it. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. At this time, if a white person was accused of rape, they were sent to prison. If a black person was accused of rape, they they were executed. Right. Right. They were they were sent to the electric chair. Right. So just showing you the disparity of where justice was at this point in our history. Yeah. And I think that this musical did a really wonderful job at telling these men's stories or these boys' stories and um, shining light on the, the tragedy that was the Scottsboro Boys. Yeah. Absolutely. I had no idea what the story was. Same. I never heard about it. I'd only heard of the musical because mm -hmm. I love Joshua Henry. Oh, yeah. And I just remember seeing the Tony performance yeah. and being like, oh, my gosh, the dancing, the harmonies, just the talent was insane. So I just remember enjoying the performance immensely. Right. I remember watching the Tony performance and thinking that the dancing was incredible because Susan Stroman, of course, is Susan Stroman. Right. Oh, what a woman. But I don't think that you really understood the story. No, you didn't. From the Tony performance. And I remember thinking, this is definitely something that I don't have to see because if I can't get a any kind of a story at all, I don't feel a connection to it. And I think that's a, a sin. But yeah. I think that them giving anything else away in that 
Tony performance would have been hard. But there are so, so, so many shows that pick the wrong song for the Tonys. Always. Yeah. yeah. Always. We talked about that the year that Natasha and Bright Star were up. Oh, and both. Yes. Both flops. <laughs> both incredible shows. Both on my top five list. Yeah. Boring Tony performances. Yeah. Comparatively to the show. Yeah. What a shame. Oh, what a shame. I know. Because at the end of the day, we said this last episode, it's a business. At the end of the day. That's a new thing that you're going to do. I guess so. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Theater is still a business. Broadway is still a business. Absolutely. And the Tony Awards are their highest selling point. You can typically tell at the end, at the in a Tony season, like from the Tony Awards, depending on who won and their performances, if they're going to continue to sell tickets or not, and if they're going to close. And you you usually find within two or three weeks, shows start closing after the Tonys. Oh, Scottsboro boys, how I wish you won a Tony. <laughs> <laughs> Poor thing. So it was presented in the minstrel show format, yep. uh, which for those of you that don't know about the minstrel shows, they were for lack of a better term, racist entertainment. But it was almost vaudeville as well. Yes. Yeah, because... It was vaudeville before vaudeville. Right. But with white performers in blackface. Correct. But once you move to vaudeville, vaudeville in the 1920s, you have black performers in blackface, which if you've ever heard of the show, Shuffle Along, mm-hmm. they really tell the story of vaudeville and blackface and all of that stuff really well. Go look it up and listen to it. The most recent revival had Audrey McDonald in it. Yeah. And I'm pretty sure Brian Sooks Mitchell was Joshua Henry might have been in as well. I could be very wrong. I have to look. Where Brian Sooks Mitchell, Brandon Victor Dixon, who was originally in Scottsboro Boys off Broadway. Right. Right. And then Josh Henry took over for him uh, when they moved to Broadway. But he was also in it. I mean, it had Adrian Warren in it. Billy Porter. Shuffle Along had an all-star cast. But it it does a good job at kind of um, uh, showing what the world was like in the 1920s for, for black people. Well, but in 2002, Susan Stroman um, met with David Thompson, um, Candor, and Ebb to begin researching uh, famous American trials. And they found this trial, and they were like, this is a story that needs to be told. Absolutely. Why hasn't it been told before? Um, And they started to work on it, but unfortunately, uh, Fred Ebb passed away in 2004. So the project was put on hold. They took a break from it for a little <laughs> bit. I'm sure that was a very hard time for a Candor, lot of people yeah. in, in the industry. And Candor, yeah, and yeah. Candor and, and everything. Um, but then in 2008, Candor reapproached uh, Susan Stroman and David Thompson, and he was like, let's do this. Let's finish it. Let's do the lyrics. Let's, let's do it. And I'm so glad they did. Yeah. Oh, 100%. <laughs> so it is... All black performers with one white performer playing the interpol. Which is essentially the narrator. Yeah, they had the two minstrel show characters, Mr. Bones, Mr. Tambo, who were played by black performers. Yeah, and they all start, their costumes are like Marianne said earlier, like in that uh, theme of like minstrel show format, yeah. Yeah, very colorful, very yes. oversized. The very checkered pattern, the big hats. Very caricaturish, especially of, um, it might have been nine minstrel shows, but that was also a very big thing in the 
30s black show. Yeah, almost like theatrical clown-like. Yes. The players were moving in and out of parts. Um, the It was a musical social critique. They were moving in and out of comedic and dramatic moments. And as... To true candor and ebb fashion, it was a show within a show. It was. <laughs> and I know it sounds silly, but you know how every... Excuse me. Um, how every writing team or, or writer has their own style and like you can hear when when you hear a song you're like oh that's this person that's this person when I first listened to one of the songs from the show I was like oh that's true candor and ebb yeah like that is candor and hey, hey, ebb hey, hey, yes hey, dee, 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 dee. I was like oh Chicago okay. all right immediately <laughs> I was like oh Chicago yeah oh cabaret mm-hmm. Before we we get into um, how the show kind of developed, that it is a very black story. You know, it it's it has roots in the social injustices of the black people of America. Yes, told by a team of white people, which is interesting. You say that because I think that that was a big issue with um theater goers mm-hmm. because they could not understand before the show was even put up people already had made their decision that this was not okay yes i had watched an interview well so they did a 10th anniversary concert oh, okay. um recently in 2020 um with most of the original cast it was um headed by Julius Thompson the 3rd and Josh Breckenridge, who were both in the original production, mm-hmm. and it was a video reunion with a lot, like I said, a lot of the um, original company as well as the original creative team, and they just kind of, it was about ten to twenty minutes long. It's a really great watch. Go watch it on YouTube. Where they said that basically Susan Stroman was like, "I'm your director. I get it, but this is not my story. This is your story, and you're the ones telling it. So it needs to come from you." She was like, I'm going to do my job. I'm going to choreograph and I'm going to direct. But if something feels out of place, like, you tell me. Mm-hmm. This is your story. And they said from day one, they didn't feel like it mattered what the color of their team was. Right. So I thought that was really interesting. Yeah. And even there are videos online, like, of um, almost video diaries of the production. And at the final performance, and I forget which actor it was went around asking the other performers how they think that the show is impactful and if the Scottsboro brothers were alive to come and see the show would they have been proud of the product that they made and the answer was always a resounding yes yeah yeah and the show had a lot of hate mm-hmm. um they had people outside picketing outside of the theater yeah for weeks and the performers were like, it was so upsetting, like walking into work, seeing people like picketing our production and they haven't even seen it. They haven't even given it a chance. And they would say to them, like, just give it a chance. Come in, sit down, watch the show. Like, you'll see that we are doing the correct representation. We're doing the right thing. And what's interesting is they would start the show at the back of the house. Mm-hmm. Yes. So they're going to start this in- intense show and they're looking outside. And they are seeing people protesting. 
And one of the performers said, like, some of the, the protesters came and saw the show and they were like, oh, our bad. Yeah. But by then it did its damage. Right. It was done. Yeah. Okay. So the show started off Broadway at the Vineyard Theater. Because the show at this point had been in development for years. Yeah. Almost a decade. Yeah. It went very quickly from off Broadway to out of town to Broadway within a year. So it started at the Vineyard. Previews were February 12th of 2010. It opened March 10th and it closed April 18th. Mostly positive reviews. Yeah. But there were a few mixed reviews. But the critics overall liked it. Yes. At that point, absolutely they did. In August, um, from August 6th through September 25th, it moved to the Guthrie in Minneapolis. Off-Broadway, just to perspective, March to April, the Guthrie. August, September, it opened on Broadway. It previewed the beginning of October, but it opened October 31st, 2010. So within eight months, it went from off-Broadway to Broadway. To the Broadway. (laughs) And on Broadway, it ran a total of 29 previews Mm -hmm. and 49 performances. It got very mixed reviews. It did not do as well on Broadway as it did off-Broadway. And it had moderate to weak box office sales. But some of the... um, can I just read my favorite yeah, review? Yeah, go for it. I was just looking at mine. Uh, my fa- so I think I have two, but I think my favorite review was from the New York Post by Elizabeth Vincentelli. Mm-hmm. The show is vibrantly alive, a thrilling, inventive, and entertaining night at the theater. You'll laugh, you'll cry, you'll be moved. What could be more Broadway than that? I just got chills up my back. You'll laugh, you'll cry, you'll be moved. What could be more Broadway than that? Right. Like, what else would you want from a show? I just... Nothing. I just love that, that, that review. Can I read some bad reviews? Because I feel like we read a lot of good reviews about the shows all the time. We try. Yeah. (laughs) Some of them are hard to find. (laughs) (laughs) But some of these, I was like, oh, this one hurts me really, really roughly. The Wall Street Journal called the show a musical that slathers this terrible tale in a thick coat of musical comedy frosting that has been spiked with cheap elephantine irony. I can't believe a nastier tasting recipe. Wow. Yeah. I have one more. Um, John McHorter of the New Republic panned the production writing that Ideally, this would be a piece that grappled with the real story of the Scottsboro Scottsboro Boys, a rich one driven by the conflicting impulses of desperate people with conflicting agendas. But the musical paints it in such broad strokes that it's hard to engage with it on any substantial level. I don't think, though, um, that Broadway was ready in 2010 for a show like this. No. Um, I think... And we'll get more into this, but I think that if this show were to be revived in 2021, like when Broadway reopens, mm-hmm. that it would do more than successful. Yeah. First of all, um, I think it's interesting that Kander and Ebb took this on 
because they have a very vivid mix of socially conscientious theater that they have written over the years. Shows like Cabaret, shows like Chicago, shows like Kiss of a Spider Woman, you know, shows that shouldn't get more credit but did not, and especially shows that but Kinder and Red wrote shows that were not vehicles of escapism. Also, pieces of art that were shows within shows. Again, yeah. Chicago, Cabaret, 70 Girl 70. Curtains. Curtains. But they would write shows that were more unsettling, and they, they were not afraid to make you feel uncomfortable. Yeah. They were not afraid to show you true human nature and, and human behavior. They typically wrote shows that were... I want to say out of the box mm-hmm. than like the normal fluff that's on Broadway. Yes. Uh, Hal Prince went to Berlin and saw that very socially conscientious theater and wanted to that kind of Brecht esh theater and wanted to throw that in the faces of the American public. Awesome. But Hal Prince, 16 Tony Award winner, Hal Prince. Rest in peace. Did it in a very gritty aggressive way yeah always you look at chicago bob fossey bob fossey was an aggressive director yeah gritty yeah very gritty i love susan stroman i'm saying that first of all as a director she is not as gritty as hal prince was in the 70s or bob fossey was in the 70s so even though this was done in a style to be like, hey, we're having fun with it. Is this possibly the wrong path for this type of show? Hmm. If we're trying to show the grittiness and injustices of this, I don't necessarily, and again, I didn't see a, a full production of that, but I didn't just listening to the music, I got that there were moments where the finger was pointed at the American public, but not in the way that Chicago and Cabaret did it. Yeah, it was different. Um, one of the producers, I have a quote from one of their producers, from Mr. Weisler, and he is um, a, pr- a pretty popular producer. Uh, he has produced many a show, but he said, black audiences made up their mind without seeing the show mm-hmm. and the white audience is saying, oh God, we're punishing nine black boys for something they didn't do and they finally all die. I think I'll see Mamma Mia. It's hard subject matter. Absolutely. And I know you touched on it a little bit in the beginning of the episode, basically saying, you know, what had happened, but the women that accused them of rape were prostitutes. Yeah. And They were on the train or the boxcar, as they call it, you know, in the show with these these nine black boys and a group of white men. And the groups got into a fight as they would in 1930 in Alabama. Um, And the train was stopped. And when the they were all taken off, the police were like, what happened? When the police noticed the two women, they knew the women because they're prostitutes, so they were familiar with them. So the women used those black boys as a scapegoat. Yeah. 
And then one of them confessed immediately and was like, they didn't rape us. We just didn't want to go to jail Mm -hmm. because we were prostitutes crossing state lines. Yeah. And that's illegal. Even the medical examiner who examined both women was like, there is no sign of rape in either of these women. Like, this is probably not a case you should go forward with. And, like, one of the saddest moments in the show to me is when they're singing. Oh, my God. I have heard that Go song. back home. Go back home. And the 12-year-old boy, the youngest boy, oh. he's like, all I want to do is go home for my birthday. Mm-hmm. And in that moment, and then he sings, my heart. Oh, I've heard Broken. that song before. Yeah. And I don't know where, but I was watching the highlights and different highlights of the show. And Joshua Henry came up on my YouTube feed and he was singing it. And I went, oh, I know this song. There's a line in the opening in Hey, 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 mm-hmm. where one of the performers says, um, Haywood Pat- Patterson says, can we tell the story of the Scottsboro boys like it really happened? And the interlocker says, uh, I don't know. Are you sure you're up for that? And he says, this time, can we tell the truth? Mm-hmm. And I think that that's such an interesting line because if you listen to the, the soundtrack, it is said very flippantly. As a director, I think, like, what an impact it would have been if the show kind of stopped for a moment. Yeah. And I think that would have given a little bit more gravitas. I think there was definitely ways that the show could have given itself a little bit more gravitas and a little bit like, this is a really serious subject matter. And I understand Susan Stroman, David Thompson, Kandron Ebb. I understand 100% why you did what you did. Yeah. But also I hear the people that say, I want it to be taken more seriously. So how can we do that? And how could that have been done in the first place? You stumped me because... I really like the show. Yeah. From what I was able to find and hear, it was really hard to find a soundtrack. Like, you couldn't really find anything. There, there. You said you didn't have Apple Music. Both the UK cast okay. and the Off-Broadway are both on Apple yeah, Music. Yeah, so I couldn't find it on Spotify, which was no, frustrating. I could not either. Because um, that's what I use. I guess I should have just tried to, like, download, like, a month trial or something of Apple Music to listen to it. But I really liked what I heard. Mm-hmm. And this is a show I would have seen immediately. On Broadway, if I had been like conscientious of, of what the show was about, yeah, yeah, yeah. In a lot of ways, and again, I have never seen the show. On for like, I really tried. People, if anybody could find a YouTube version of any theater, any any theater doing this production, shout us out and give it to us. Please. Um, I feel like a lot of it was stuck between caricature and realism. But I think that that also could have been like the beginning of the show. And then once they got deeper in. But I mean, you had these nine black men playing different roles throughout the whole show. They were playing the prison guards. The prostitutes. The prostitutes. (laughs) They were playing every role. So in a sense, I guess it could be kind of charactery. Yeah. Based off of that. We have talked so much about 
needing to change and starting to be moving in the right way. I mean, we have a African-American vice president, yeah. a female vice president. Yeah. That what we had been talking about earlier, the Freedom Party doing the protests. Yes. Um, and they just to say they were protesting over the fact that it was done in minstrel show format. But the minstrel shows format was a device in order to tell the racially charged story. There was nobody in blackface on that stage as they would have been a hundred years earlier. But they didn't know that because, like you said, they didn't go to see the show. The show was a tough sell, I think, to audiences in general. It was, in essence, a minstrel show telling the controversial story of black boys being charged with rape. It got 12 Tony nominations and won zero. John Cullum, I think, was already a Tony winner. So what I find interesting is that it won. It, well, I'm sorry. It was nominated for the second most Tonys that season. Yeah. You said it won none. Correct. The other show that was nominated for the most Tonys was The Book of Mormon. They won the Tony Award that year. Yes. For Best Musical. The Book of Mormon is ex- is extremely controversial right now. Yeah. It's always been, but in the past like year and a half, it's really been talked about how controversial it is. Yeah. So I find it so interesting that that show was nominated for the most Tony Awards, with then Scottsboro Boys being the second highest nominee- nomination. And then they lost to a show who, in the theater community's opinion right now, is offensive. Right. Where Scottsboro Boys was trying to shine light on a very tragic event Mm -hmm. and a piece of history. So just to give you an idea of the shows that came out, Book of Mormon, which won the most Tonys that season and won Best Musical of the Year. Anything Goes. Which was Best Revival. Did that win Best Revival? That starred Sutton Foster, by the way. Sister Act. And Gavin Crow, sorry. Sister Act, which starred Patina Miller. Women on the Verge of a Nervous Breakdown. Which they thought would do better because it was... Patti LuPone. And Laura Benanti and Sherry Renee Scott. But guess what? Guess what wasn't a thing in 2010? Casting correctly. And... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> no offense to all of those women who were all incredible and I love, but like they were all white playing Hispanic women. Like yeah. that's not how this works. Yeah. Um, Priscilla, Queen of the Desert. Yep. Catch me if you can. How to succeed in business. Without really trying. That was the revival. So, wait, so uh, Priscilla, yeah. Queen of the Desert starred Will Swenson. Catch me if you can had Aaron Trevate and Norbert Leo Butts and Carrie Butler. How to succeed opened with Daniel Radcliffe. Daniel Radcliffe didn't even get nominated. John Larroquette did. Did he win? I'm just going to go through it quickly. Best Musical, Book, Book of Mormon, Mormon won. Best Revival, Anything, Anything goes. goes. Only two shows were nominated. Best Performance of a Leading um, Actress in a Musical was Sutton Foster, Anything Goes. I don't understand that. <sighs> Best Featured Actress in a Musical was Nikki M. James for the Book of Mormon, which she yeah. absolutely deserved. She was great. Oh my goodness, was she great. Best original score was Book of Mormon. They won, but Scottsboro Boys was nominated. Mm-hmm. Best scenic design of a musical was Book of Mormon, um, even though Beowulf, Beowulf? Beowulf, 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 Beowul
Um, best costume design for a musical went to Priscilla, Queen of the Desert, as it should have. Best lighting design for a musical, that went to Book of Mormon, even though Scottsboro Boys was nominated. Sound design, Book of Mormon, Scottsboro Boys was nominated. Best direction of a musical, Book of Mormon won. Susan Stroman, uh, Casey Nicolau won for Book of Mormon, and Trey Parker um, for Book of Mormon, but Susan Stroman was nominated. Yeah. And best orchestrations... Um, went to Book of Mormon, even though Scottsboro Bro- Boys was nominated for, uh, well, Larry Hockman was nominated. Best um, leading actor in a musical went to Norbert Leo Butts, my yeah. number one. All the time. He's my absolute favorite. He has two Tony Awards, but um, he went to that for Catch Me If You Can, even though, even though Joshua Henry, who's another one of my favorites, was nominated. Best featured actor in a musical went to John... From How to Succeed in Business, I'm really trying. John, John Larroquette. Thank you, Larroquette. Yeah, I, I should know how to say that name. But Coleman uh, Domingo and Forrest McKeldron, McKeldon, oh, they were yeah. both nominated for Scottsboro Boys for, yeah. for Feature Art, Actor in a Musical. Best Book of a Musical went to Trey Parker, Robert Lopez, and Matt Stone for Book of Mormon, even yeah. though David Thompson was nominated. Best Choreography went to Kathleen Marshall for Anything Goes. But Susan Stroman, she was nominated. It's just so unfortunate to me how many Tonys they were nominated for. And then they won zero, which that little mini, like 20 minute, 10 minute, whatever reunion concert. They talk about that in it. Yeah. Um, and the guy who ran that that concert, um, he said that it's a documentary that is a labor of love and his love letter to both the incredible show and the original Scottsboro Boys. Yeah. The show cost about $5 million to make, which compared to a lot of other shows that we have covered is not a lot of shows. But it only made, according to its gross sales, about $2.75 million back. So it earned only about, uh, what, 60% of what it had put out. And it wasn't a lot. I mean, when you, you look back and you think about Shows like Carrie that put out, you know, fourteen thousand dollars. It didn't it didn't come close to what was put out, but still it did not make back what it had intended to. The Lyceum Theater during an eight show run week could sell seventy six hundred seats during that eight show run week. In the first week, it only sold 5,200 seats in its opening week on Broadway. Its lowest week was its fourth week with 4,300. And the last week was the largest selling week with just about 7,000 seats sold. It had the potential to gross between 750 to 850 a week, but honestly, it did not come close to that in its six-week, seven-week run. Um, it probably only sold between four to five fifty a week in its gross. I think that since the 1990s, this kind of art, and I don't mean artsy, like I'm going to say artsy, but that seems derogatory, and I don't mean it in a derogatory, in a derogatory sense, way. Yeah. But an artsy socially conscientious show can't find its foothold on Broadway. Like, even if you look at Be More Chill. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
That was a very socially conscientious show that had a huge following off Broadway and then moved to Broadway and couldn't find his foothold past the people that were like, hey, that's edgy. Broadway has not been edgy in years. And it has not promoted edgy artistry the way that Three Penny Opera did and the way that even Oklahoma and Carousel and Pippin and Cabaret and Chicago. Like, we haven't had that be a big thing on Broadway, be a successful thing on Broadway in years. And that's a shame. No, I I agree with you. I just, I'm a loss for words because it's, it's, it's difficult. Yeah. Marianne mentioned it earlier in the podcast that all nine boys were pardoned in 2013. When this happened, um, the show was playing in uh, in the West End in 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 London, and um, they decided the show the, the the creative team to air it during vows. Oh, on like a projector. And so as all of these these men are bowing after doing this show, they are you're watching the nine men and their their family members, you know, years later being pardoned and the audience. So the, so the, the, the actors are bowing. This is being shown on screen. The audience doesn't realize what it is until they realize what it is. It clicked. Susan Stroman said, you heard a <gasps> audible gasp from everybody in the audience. Silence. And then the loudest round of applause. You changed history. Yeah. You wrote a show that affected the way somebody felt about something. The governor of Alabama was like, this should not have happened. Yeah. And it's 2013. Sure, it's many years later. But I'm still going to do the right thing. Yeah. And he did the right thing. Yeah. And then an entire audience got to see it live. First of all, as an actor, being in that show at that time, on that stage, while that is happening, was probably the most fulfilling experience. Mm -hmm. As an audience member, I'm sure everyone was moved. And as a creative team, you feel like you're doing something right. Yeah. Even though you flopped and failed on Broadway. The fact that it's been successful regionally. Community theaters do it. The West End, it was pretty successful. And then you were able to get something like like this to be pardoned. Come on. At the end of the day, the show flopped, but good things came out of it. At the end of the day. At the end of the day. I think that it came out at the wrong time. I I couldn't agree more. I'm going to say two things. One... I think it came out at the wrong time and people were not, you know, and even with a show like Sister Act, Priscilla Queen of the Desert, anything goes. I don't think that an audience was looking for socially conscientious theater at that point. But also, I think that it should have pushed a little bit more. I do. Maybe I'm wrong, but I think that if they would have pushed a little bit more 
if it was five years later and they pushed a little bit more in one direction or the other, it might have been more successful. Rita, what are your thoughts? I couldn't agree more. Um, I think it came out in the wrong time. It's only been 10 years, but in 10 years, the world has changed a lot. In I the was past say five, if I may, five years later, six years later, Hamilton came out. Right. I think it's all about timing. Yeah. Um, I think that they cast incredible people. We only had mentioned Joshua Henry. I had mentioned two of the other characters, uh, actors as well. John Cullen. But. Who's the, the white act, the only white actor, but a seasoned professional. Yeah. yeah. Just. Yes. A stellar cast. But do yourselves a favor and like go watch that reunion concert that they did. They only did, I'm pretty sure they only did Hey Hey Chat, um, not Hey Hey, uh, Come in Chattanooga, that song. They did part of Hey Hey Hey. Into that song. Into, yeah. And it was uh, incredible. You got to, I mean, the boy who played the youngest member that had um, mm. been arrested, he was like, I was 10 when they cast me. So like just, just from that, first of all, that warms my heart because like imagine being 10 on Broadway. But do yourselves a favor and appreciate the show. It, it deserves the appreciation. And I think, and I hope, like, we say this every podcast, I feel like, that City Center would do everything justice. And if City Center were to, like, bring the show back when Broadway reopened, like, it would be successful and then move to Broadway, I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't be surprised. It is worth it. Yeah. Um, I agree with you though Marianne I think that the show flopped solely because of the time it was put out and people didn't give it the chance I think with the strides we have made in the past year and a half um, the show would be incredibly incredibly successful on Broadway there is a song and I'm trying to find it right now that John McCullen sings or the interloper sings um, it's going to take time Yes, at the end of act two I know. I know. And it's all about how we need time for people's minds and people's attitudes and people's outlooks to change. And I I actually, I listened to it today while I was changing laundry over. And then I went, oh, no. And I had to, I pressed back I was like I want to listen to this again and I sat and listened to it and I was like this is so important right now right now it deserves more recognition than it received but yeah we hope you liked this week's episode yes. we really liked the show we really enjoyed um doing our research for it if you enjoyed it please give us um a like a reshare a comment subscribe to our our podcast all of it helps. Um, and we're happy to be here. We're, we're happy to be uh, recording episodes for you yes. in 2021 and, and doing doing the damn thing. Funny enough, if you don't know, Stage Door Boxes is the bomb. You should go to stagedoorboxes.com. It's a Broadway subscription box. It brings the Magic Musical Theater right to your very own stage door. There's dope stuff inside each box. It's really incredible. Um, but... I was packing one of the boxes and I pulled out a playbill from one of my vendors and it was the rink. Oh my 
I kept it. Good. <laughs> I had to. I was like, oh, we just talked about this on the podcast. And uh, we hope you have a great rest of your, your week. Thanks so much for being here with us. Bye. Bye. Yeah. See you later. <laughs>